Oh. How did that it's work? Good recording. <laughs> for, for, for those of you who enough. for the 10 minutes before, we just spent 10 minutes trying to figure out how to get recording again because we are technocrats of anything else and we know what we're doing, sort it's of. Easily the most difficult time we've had getting this running. Which and is so just embarrassing. Our first guest, too. Yeah, it was so embarrassing, Tom. We're so sorry. That's <laughs> all right. He's been secretly recording the early part and he's going to release that. It's just us swearing at I each would. other. Like, how do we do this? I would. That's a phenomenal attack on our faction. Yeah, and it's it's full podcast length as well, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, Ryan, you want to introduce him? Uh, sure. All right. This is Modern Sovereign episode... <laughs> Number five. Six. Set nope. five. 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 I've never once gotten that right. Shambles. <laughs> yeah. Episode five. Uh, with special guest, Thomas J. Bevan. Rhymes with Hello. seven. Rhymes with seven. Tom is a professional content creator online. Um, I think that's what you go by, isn't that right, Tom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, proudly, you know, I'm just trying to provide that content. <laughs> just make adding value. Make, make the metrics move, adding value, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the, the real reason Tom's here is that he, uh, I think, represents the modern sovereign thing in a very interesting way. Like, he's, mm-hmm. uh, he's sort of midway through a leap into sovereignty. Uh, and it's especially interesting because Tom usually comes at this stuff from a completely different angle from the the rest of us three. He's like a little bit more, uh, what would you call it, uh, techno-skeptical, something like that. Um, so yeah, I think he'll he'll have an interesting counter-perspective to the way we think about a lot of this stuff. Hello, Tom. Hello. Yeah, so Tom, you, I think I saw a tweet probably like a week or so ago. You said, I think last month was the first month, that you made more money. Off of your uh, off of online writing than you did off your day job. Yeah, which uh, given how much I get paid in my job isn't quite as impressive as you know <laughs> that might initially sound. But yeah, but it's still something. But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so is, yeah, I mean that. So I mean, it, so that's a, that's a particularly good month because that was um, mm-hmm. when I first kind of announced my whole Discord thing, but. Oh, it's right, right. looking it's looking like as a standard month with the sort of um recurring We're, subscriptions. Yeah, I'm probably about halfway towards sovereignty, which, you know, is nice. awesome. Yeah, why don't that... uh, uh why don't you give like the listeners a rundown of exactly like what it is you do, uh what your structure is, um what your business plan is, like all, all that stuff. Because I mean, probably right now there's a lot of mutuals listening, but there might be some people that don't know what it is you do. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, basically the way it works at the moment is I um, do everything through Substack. That's the main sort of venue where I have my writing. And then as part of that, which is one of the beauties of Substack, is it's really easy to then have uh, premium subscribers, which I charge $7 a month for. And then as part of that, you get into um, a private Discord that I've made where you know we just talk about writing and collaborating and art and just okay. drinking drinking and shit you know um degeneracy so, so yeah, you're sort exactly. of going for you're sort of going for like a thousand true fans sort of model right yeah exactly yeah yeah and it doesn't even need to be quite that many which is interesting so yeah the idea yeah. is is that i want that to be mm-hmm. sort of yeah financial base which kind of replaces doing a day job and then i can add actual books and things on top of that 
Oh, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, so I guess I was looking for something that was, you know, still writing involved and a less time-consuming than a job, so I could still have sort of prime hours every day to do the actual real work of writing and just something that's actually useful to people. Because I think one of the main problems for me is just whenever I look on um, Twitter for writing advice, it's generally so bad that to try and <laughs> stop myself from going on tirades all day, I thought, you know, I'll invite people to this thing and we can actually talk about it. it. Yeah, I could actually talk about it as people who actually do these things rather than talk about doing the things, you know. Would you like to call out anyone in particular right now? <laughs> Open floor. Um, um, yeah, I would, but I'm going to diplomatically reject that because, as I've said, I'm trying to make a living here and, you know. Well, we are I too, mean, Tom. We're trying to beef up numbers here. Do you know how good uh, attacks are for engagement? They're phenomenal. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think your goal and my goal kind of log ahead zero a little bit. So <laughs> that's probably but, true. But, that's probably... But, but, base, but basically, if you use the like the advanced Twitter search function, type in writing, kind of scroll down, you see any account that's above twenty five thousand followers, and then mm -hmm. basically, so uh -huh. all of them. I, I know the kind of people you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think mm -hmm. I've seen some of those guys. Do you think when you get to 25,000 followers that you will turn on yourself? Um, Hell out. What do you mean, like in a suicide? Um, I just sort of like attacking your own brand, you know, your own way of thinking. If, yeah, if I, if I got there, which I never will. Um, you think? Then, yeah, Intentionally? Then, yeah, I probably would. Um, probably intentionally, yeah. There's just that sort of input the perverse sort of self-sabotage thing kicks in when oh naturally whenever uh, yeah it's like the yeah it's like a kill switch sort of mechanism you know whenever you get to a certain level of popularity you just want to yeah completely undermine it all so yeah do you feel For like example, you have to overcome yeah do, do you feel like you have to overcome like a, some psychological barriers just to sort of get started on this alternative path um yeah i mean I guess there is to a degree, because there's always that sort of thing, whereas if you ever want to do anything that's vaguely art-related, for, for whatever reason, I don't know where it comes from, but there seems to be this sort of built-in prejudice where making any money whatsoever mm. is kind yeah. of, yeah, that's for some reason completely inauthentic, which is yeah. obviously nonsense, but, um, but yeah, yeah it, I don't know where that comes from, but that's so... Ingrained, it's the succession yeah. of like, inauthenticity with making money. It assumes mm. that they're the exact same thing. Exactly. Yeah. And and another thing about I guess like growing accounts and stuff like that is that it almost becomes that bargain that people make with themselves. Like oh, like I've got to water myself down a bit just to do just to get more and more people in and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so even like even ignoring the sort of psychological like oh I, do, I I'm I'm not happy with how big I'm getting. There's also the idea of I have to make this bargain and I've made fun of people for making what I consider the wrong bargain every time here. So I have to make the right bargain, which is that I'd rather stay the same and authentic than be like, uh, just start ripping up like, saying like writer's mm -hmm. block is fake. You just need to drink more coffee or I'm trying to think of like, crappy, <laughs> crappy writer's advice. I'm trying to think of exactly what you'd be talking about without searching it right now. But I assume it's stuff like that. Like writer's block doesn't exist and um, yeah. just, just write what you know, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, but um, I think if it, I think I think if you can become very successful, actually doing what you, you know, saying things that you genuinely believe in, then that's great. But in my experience is that doesn't seem to be particularly possible, at least with what I do. Because if you say something that's you know true and accurate and from experience and has all of the sort of requisite nuance to it, no one cares. And you'll get banned from Twitter. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You yeah, used that, to have like a pretty big account, didn't you, Tom? Uh, before Twitter ruthlessly algoaxed you. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was like seven and a half thousand or something like that. Mm. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, but then, but then again, when I first when I first started out, I did kind of write. I still think they were better, but it was still sort of along the lines of, you know, threads which give pretty generic fairly unhelpful writing advice and that sort of thing. So in many ways, mm. I guess the people who are attracted to that, it's not the worst thing to be rid of those people. But, um, yeah, since starting again, I mean, it's very, very sort of slow because, yeah, I just can't be bothered with playing that game, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the you, same time, you're making it work for you, like, uh, pretty well, right? Like, as you yeah. said, last month was the killer month. Um, it's probably going to be up from there. So you seem to have found some sort of balance in that way. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's all due to sort of Substack itself, really, because I don't know what it is yeah. about the platform, but but you know it's, it's a fairly simple, straightforward platform. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. that kind of special, but for whatever really reason, good. it just seem, it just seems to have drawn all the quality people to it. So the thing itself has quite a lot of prestige. And, Substack is really like, cool. They're pretty good about like censorship and stuff, right? Like Twitter, yeah, right? so, they're not so very far. friendly. Substack, so far, and chill. yeah. Okay. They haven't really been mm-hmm. fully tested yet. Like mm-hmm. I always, I, I'm always waiting uh, for Moldbug to really drop like some really incendiary piece <laughs> and like actually, actually test the limits of their goodwill. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But they've been really good, right, so far. I think Substack have become like a really, uh, actually, core part of this. Like, it seems like such an easy idea, right? Like, everyone mm-hmm. knew that newsletters were a thing and that they were profitable mm-hmm. and all that. But Substack uh, did this really cool thing where they just made it so, like, dumb easy. Like, mm-hmm. it was extremely easy to set one up. You have a newsletter and a blog at the click of a button, and it's really, really easy to collect money instantly. Yeah. And it's formatted really nicely. Uh, and just by taking all those boxes in a really simple and easy-to-do way, they've kind of, like, I don't know, they've created something actually really, really powerful. Like mm-hmm. you've, I don't know if you've noticed, but like there's been some actual media giants that have been moving over there just to write independently because like, oh, like yeah. they, they don't they don't need they don't need the New York Times anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're already a big name separate from the New York Times because of what they did over there, and now they can take that audience from Twitter, move it to a Substack, and they don't have mm-hmm. to submit it to an editor at the end of the day. Yeah, it's very powerful. Yeah, um, I think that's enormously powerful. Enormously, uh, I think it will it will probably change like the trajectory of how we think about news content on the internet because it's slowly decoupling from all these very heavy very awkward institutions yeah that force you to filter all your opinions through whatever it is that they whatever their values or legal structures Uh are yeah yeah you've now got all these individuals instead and in that sense you have a free market of journalistic content i laugh now whenever i say content but (laughs) for that reason is that i i like the only journalists that ever really think of now is because i found them on substack and i i read their substacks and 
it's just the knowledge like oh like it's going to do better if people i guess like what is liking journalism that's a bit different because people i guess identify with a bit more so people might like something that is wrong or even poorly written just because it makes them feel good but Mm -hmm. but the idea of all the substack stuff make perfect sense and i think going to the techno skeptical part of you tom is that like this handles all of that it's like okay so this is a platform that other people trust that you trust and it manages all these things and i have a lot of people because so many people message me about just starting different things like oh i'm going to make my website and i'm going to shell out this much it's like please don't do that like either make it yourself or do something like substack but like spending like five grand in like startup cost for like just putting content and ideas and stuff out there is just not the best way to do it and this is solving that problem so readily yeah absolutely and um i think i think what it does is it just um yeah it just kind of lines up incentives because rather Mm -hmm. than sort of pleasing some editor or some kind of institutional structure it's just that the better work you do the more you can potentially get paid it -hmm. does seem to actually um it does actually seem to be the quality is the driver of all that. It's certainly, been my experience anyway. Like you know, the things that have been the most successful are also, in my opinion, what's probably the best. Whereas it's a completely yeah. different thing. But it's a completely different thing. But if you compare it to something like Twitter, and you just purely look at metrics with that, the things you say that kind of perform the best is generally something that you know. It's not some great statement that you really stand by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Substack seems uh, well, more than anything like a, you're right, like a, a meritocracy of a platform. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think I think meritocracy to me is like something that's really, really core to uh, sovereignty, like a like a utopian technocratic future. Um, it's it's heavily tied to this idea of meritocracy in a way that uh, with an institution like the New York Times, if all reputable writers came from there. It's much more driven by something like nepotism. It's much more driven by something like how much do you adhere to the views of that institution. Um, whereas we're entering sort of like this really cool, very distributed, very individualistic uh, meritocracy, which I think is brilliant both for the internet economy and just mm-hmm. for our quality of living, right? Like the kind of content we consume. It's it's way, way better. Absolutely, yeah. And with all those institutions as well, they're also completely tied to geography which is yeah. a big which is a big mm-hmm. point so yeah if, if you're living in the same proximity as every other journalist um you know living in that same proximity in reality and also the same proximity in twitter as well there's not going to be any real yeah. difference of opinion it's all going to coalesce and then you know regardless of sort of political things that's just pretty dull from a reader standpoint yeah and i think you're what you're starting to see from like uh i think I think it was it was either Washington Post or the New York Times. Like they were starting to post these articles where it's like why the rise of Substack is very dangerous for oh, so journalism. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I I can see that you're afraid. I can see the fear good right cope. now in you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that's really good. I think it's a, a good sign that they are they're hitting the right notes. And why would it be that Substack would be more meritocratic than Twitter? Is it just the length of content filters out yeah. the pure one-liners? Yeah, I think so. It's just different. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's just a different sort of skill set, which I don't know. It's just I don't have much against Twitter in principle. I'm not kind of fully sort of Luddite just because. It's just a, something through the nature of if you generally write long form and then you move to Twitter as well, it's just such a completely different skill, if you like. 
that trying to juggle those two things just kind of atrophies I both of say, them, you know? I would say Twitter is a meritocracy. It's just a very different kind of meritocracy than Substack. Mm-hmm. It, it, it takes a very different uh, skill set. Yeah, uh, I think on the, yeah. on the surface, it, lo- it probably looks like... Uh, it probably looks like a very low scale thing, but the truth is, if it was low scale, everyone would be sitting. Mm-hmm. Everyone complaining would be sitting there with like a shit ton of followers, just like farming it easily. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I think Twitter is just a very. It takes a different skill set. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd agree with that, but I think I think the problem becomes with training that skill set if you happen yeah. to be more of a long form writer, because atrophies that other skill set. I just find it completely changes. It's like if your dream is to become a marathon runner and then you're only doing sprints, it's like, cool, do that once or twice a week and that's one way to augment it. But if you then just become a sprinter, it's like now you're maybe, maybe you're, now you're average at the thing you didn't want to get good at and you're not getting better at the thing you really wanted to get good at. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. I think that's a really good metaphor. And I, I started thinking about some of like my favorite uh, Substack writers and um, I don't think it's a coincidence that they don't really tweet. Mm-hmm. They don't really, they don't really tweet at all, um, which is which is kind of interesting. Because I think you're right. I think it does take it's like a different muscle to flex, and it, focusing too much on one probably atrophies the other. Yeah. Hmm. So, what do you think are your like uh, your like core ideas, Tom? That you've been like putting forward out there, and that are really resonating with people. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's any sort of. Um big grand idea and i think that's kind of partly the point it's just sort of small um observational type stuff i suppose and looking at the difference between um i guess the online and the offline mm-hmm. you know so so um so that can come across as quite luddite at times i just think you've got these two different realms which you need to both sort of utilize I know for a while you were... Uh, and sort of respect in their sort of right measure, you know? Yeah. For a while you were memeing on um, the future being analog. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you want to you wanna talk about that for a second? What do you mean by that? Well, um, like I said, the, the way I see it is there are, um, there are these two completely different realms. And I think that, you know, basically what, you'll, what I think you'll end up having is you'll end up having analog art but sort of di- um, distributed digitally. So, um, so yeah, I mean, in spite of everyone seemingly being on phones all the time, it's still like, you know, actual physical hardback book sales seem to be going up. Vinyl sales going up. Yeah, yeah, all, all these kind of things. Okay. So I, think as people become, so I think as people become more and more extremely online, there's also a need for the sort of, yeah, a respite of the opposite of, things that are more tangible i suppose which is what you kind of find oh people have found during lockdown especially when you know if you're if you've sort of fully bought into the minimalist lifestyle you're just stuck in your house and you've got no actual stuff you know yeah, i know just, a lot of people in a screen yeah i know a lot of people during the lockdown ended up spending up spending way more time online because they were working uh-huh. from home everything was being done digitally and then on the flip side in their free time I, there's this huge uptick in people getting into things like canning and sewing and gardening, mm-hmm. like very, very, very like tactile IRL things, um, which um, probably at some facet, um, probably in part to do just because people have free time and maybe they've always wanted to do that, but didn't. But a, a lot of that, yeah, that's probably to do with the, 
the quote analog future, the the balance some of us are going to need <laughs> when so much of our life is kind of required at this point to be online. We kind of need yeah. that outlet to do that somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all it's all about that balancing act, really. I just think that's something that um, because people take sort of really strong ideological positions either way. There's no one talking about trying to balance and reconcile these two things. Whereas, yeah, I think you kind of want the you want the kind of position of both, really. Whereas, you know, when you're offline, be completely offline. But right, when you're right. online, sort of fully get into Web three and all these things and actually use mm-hmm. the interest inside of this. It's yeah, getting yeah. the best of both, right? When you're offline, you exactly. have a complete presence and focus, and that's why meditation has become so big in the last like ten, twenty years. And then when you're online, you can just take in all these things and almost process it like you are actually plugged in. And then you take some of that offline to process more yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm. And like, like a lot of what I've seen you write about is almost um, like almost problems with the way people are consuming art and dealing with art these days. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, and so you'll be able to say it mm-hmm. better. But I'm curious, like, what you think the artistic utopia would be? Like, what's what's the world where you think people are, or what, what's the world you like, and what's the world that you think is realistic in the next ten years, where people are sort of not consuming art, but like interacting with art in the way yeah. you like and the way you think is maybe most effective for both parties, consumer and producer. Or you mean content, right? Of yes, yes, content. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think the best case scenario, um, and this is why I've kind of become much more interested and aware of Web3 and things like this, is that it actually means you stand much more of a chance of you know, making some decent money and distributing things to an audience that's interested. And then I, mm-hmm. think that, I think that potentially can sort of free up so much creative energy because you've got these aligned incentives and people are interested in, you know, kind of investing in these things, both emotionally and actually with currency, that, um, yeah, I think that potentially could just free up so much energy that you have a, yeah, real big sort of renaissance of these things. That's the ideal utopian best case scenario, I suppose. Yeah, and that sort of linked into, uh, I remember we were talking a little bit about, I think, NFTs on Twitter, right? And I remember thinking that you were like a very... In my head, I thought you'd be like an unlikely advocate of uh, something like N- NFTs. Um, but then I thought, like, it's actually sort of like the perfect alignment of, uh, mm-hmm. of our two worlds, isn't it? Yeah. I think, um, I don't know, if you try and zoom out a little bit from the present moment, the sort of past 10 or 15 years of content, you sort of look, look beyond that. It's like historically all of the artists who've, you know, who've um, done very well and made masterpieces creatively, generally seem to be fairly business savvy with the business of their times, which yeah. completely goes against that whole starving artist idea. Like, I remember, I think it was Michelangelo was kind of reading that when he died, his net worth was like the equivalent of about $20 million just through sort of savvy, savvy wow. dealing and that kind of thing. Yeah, so the idea yeah. that you have to starve in some sort of garret somewhere is just complete nonsense and then so you and then so you ask yourself what is the contemporary equivalent of these yeah of these kind of things so yeah if you look at um again another example people like dickens dostoevsky they would like have their own their own publications their own magazines and kind of 
serialize things. And so, yeah, yeah. with Substack, with NFTs, you've got the potential to do the modern equivalent of that. And sure, that's the direction you've got to be looking in if you actually want to do something. Yeah, yeah. I really hate to see like, uh, like actually talented artists conflate um, authenticity or quality with like poverty or something like that. You yeah. Know? Like, it, it, it really sucks to see. And I think one of the coolest things about the like this wave of NFT hype is seeing uh, visual artists just get paid absolutely mm-hmm. insane amounts. Like really, and people are looking at it and are like, "Wow, that's that's got to be a bubble, right?" Like, look how much these artists are being paid for just one, just one uh, visual piece. But I, I actually think it's like it's more like that we've been underpaying artists for like a really, really long time, mm. and we're just now sort of discovering the mechanism <clears throat> through which they can get fair value for their work. Yeah, yeah, because I think um, the kind of context that's led up to this and really had sort of Web three take off was the whole covid lockdown thing and when you're just kind of locked in your house all day yeah you just have you just have a way of associating like what is life actually about what is meaningful and i think i don't know how conscious it was but i think people realize it yeah it is art literature culture these kind of things and then yeah that's when you see these things start to flourish because they are now valued yeah yeah i think we also sort of discovered how how much people value ownership actually mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. even if it's not physical ownership like i'm i this painting is in my house like if this is attached to my ethereum wallet like we learned that people are willing to pay a shit ton of money uh, mm-hmm. just for that prestige um and i think we're i think we're like we obviously have seen that with visual artists like crazy but i think we're just about to see the next step will be musical artists um discovering the same sort of mechanism and possibly having like royalties linked to nft ownership uh and after that i think it will probably be uh writers as well like really because there's no there's no reason this should be limited to jpegs right it, mm-hmm. it should be mp3s um, too yeah mp3s <laughs> uh pdf files and PDFs, really. yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for real like you're gonna see yeah. you're gonna see like sex figure pdf sales on OpenSea. no joke yeah, yeah. But yeah, the angle that I'm going to take with it is, um, yeah, because I do like the idea of sort of the analog and the digital and trying to sort of marry both of those things is the way that I'm going to look at it is there's, there'll, be, um, there'll be an NFT of my book. And then when you buy that, I will send you like an actual signed, numbered, limited edition, you know, specially yeah. made sort of hardback run. Right, so right. yeah, I'm, I guess I'm interested in tying the tangible with the online as well you know yeah i mean sky's the limit really just need some imagination yeah yeah i love that idea like i know some artists when they sell their pieces um as nfts you're entitled to a physical copy of it sent to you um i know like loomlock just did a similar thing where like you get an nft but you can you'll also get airdropped a token which you can burn to redeem a free physical uh product i think Mm. yeah i think this marriage of uh i think nfts are going to be a lot less um purely digital than people imagine going in Mm-hmm. It, it's Which just kind really of the cool. gateway mechanism isn't it yeah exactly it's just like a it's just like a really clever way of distribution it's like a clever way of having all the incentives aligned so that you can yeah. so that you can actually have that that marriage of online and offline which is which is really cool because i don't think these things necessarily need to be adversarial no not at all no i, I think that's the trap you can really easily fall into which is one of the things that the online world does it gets for some kind of fairly silly argument just makes you pick a side and you stick to that side and you get yeah. sort of increasingly wedded to that whereas i think the answer to every solution is like both mm-hmm. yeah you know 
A or B, it's both. It's you figure out how to tie both together. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for this sort of, uh, I think there's going to be like a crazy wave of coder artist partnerships in a way that's like never mm. been possible before. I think this is like going to be really interesting. You know, like you'll have guys working with artists to devise clever smart contracts for distribution mechanisms mm. so that the art can get like the proper recognition it deserves. Um, I think that'll be really, really cool. And you'll see like really interesting duos pop up as a result of that. Yeah, I makes... think you'll see. I think we'll see just a lot also a lot of more ways where you can link the creator with the person who owns the product. Like I buy a book, it sits on my bookshelf, I read it, and then it sits my book sits on my bookshelf till maybe like my mom gives it away or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what if there was a way to stay in touch more, but like wait, what are other ways to connect them more? When it's like if you buy an online like like a course or something like that, you just constantly get marketed to. How do you bring that to books, but have more like bonuses or Q and A's and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And sort of what Substack is feeling. So if you have books linked with Substack, linked with NFTs, you have an idea of, oh, the you, you can almost connect with the creator more. So you care more. So you're willing to pay more. And mm-hmm. there's just, there's, and then you're more likely to spread the word and all that stuff. So I think just a lot gets created there when you have, these new technological connections and it's almost like it's going to bring all these online business ideas to thing to to models that have been around for centuries but haven't been able to get connected to online business yet yeah i mean that that's one of the main reasons why i um started the discord you know because it offers something that's a bit it it offers something that's a bit outside of that and it kind of benefits everyone because you know i get far better feedback on my work i would do otherwise because you know someone can read something that i write enjoy it sign up to the thing come over to the group and talk to me about it for as long as they want you know and then that kind of sparks ideas in me you actually got this interaction going on which is much better than the traditional writer of being the traditional model of being a writer where it's this fairly lonely sort of yeah. isolated you know, yeah and very sort of long-term thing where you you might write something on your own for like a year and then only then it gets into the world you can yeah yeah yeah, yeah I mean, there, this am I, feedback's incredible am, am i right this, in uh am i right in assuming that the discord is um like a feature like an add-on bonus for subscribing to your Substack? is that like a, yeah a yeah, premium exactly what it is. yeah yeah okay so, so you, yeah yeah i, I so remember yeah, hearing this interview that, yeah. i remember hearing this interview where i don't know who it was and he was talking about how he's like, yeah, so I go and I make an album and the whole time while I'm making the album, people are like, oh, how's the album going? And he's like, and I sort of like pull my hoodie up. I'm like, oh, it's all right. Like, oh, no, no. And then he's like, then I have to switch into marketing mode. And people are like, how's the album? He's like, it's my best ever. It's fucking slamming. It's this. Mm-hmm. And I think that the feedback mechanism you're talking about sort of fixes that where it's like you can be getting feedback along the way without giving the whole game away. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like bootstrapping like self-esteem for your art the whole time like but you know what i mean it's like if you can be getting constant feedback and know like okay like this is the right idea and stuff like that without totally crowdsourcing like what should i do guys mm-hmm. and giving people what they want when they don't really know what they want i think there's just a, a very going to more feedback mechanisms that just sustain artists better yeah and and yeah it also potentially saves you a lot of time because like over the years i've written i think three novels but this was all before i was um online like years and years mm-hmm. ago kind of sat there on my own over a course of months 
rolled right. the thing, kind of rolled myself into a corner, mm. and then ended up dumping the thing, you know, whereas if an idea isn't viable and you're actually kind of sharing it with people as you go, you realise that you so know. much sooner. Yeah, you realise that so much sooner. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, yeah, because mm. being on your own, you don't have that. And I think with any kind of um, art and promotion type thing, like if you ever, I don't know, you watch one of those sort of press junket things where an actor's talking about a film that's just come out. They shot that like a year ago. That's way sort of in their rearview mirror, whereas with these mechanisms, it kind of brings all of that much closer together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so you're not just kind of stuck in this weird loop of, yeah, being in the past and the present at the same time. Just, yeah, it kind of brings everything together. And I think it almost could solve some of the... Um... What's his name? George R. R. Martin syndrome, where he gets famous and then stops putting out any of the books that made him famous. Like if you have, if you actually have a connection with fans and stuff, like they're going to be calling you a piece of shit if you haven't put something out in five years. <laughs> and you know he what I mean? Does not have a Discord. Oh, yeah. see the comments, people are like he's going to be dead before like the next one comes out and stuff like that. And he's like, fuck you. But yeah. it's it's a fair complaint on the part of the people that have committed and the them paying is part of why he's like wealthy enough to be able to fuck around and so i don't know i feel like that connection could actually solve that and i have that frustration with a lot of authors this sort yeah. of like 10 year wait for the, the third book or something which is only really sort of a modern phenomenon for the most exactly. part i think i think that's a product of the 20th century publishing model whereas again to go back to that dickens idea he wrote all these massive books really prolific but that's because they were monthly serialized yeah. in magazine in magazines that he owned which would have people writing letters in. Mm. So how, that's not radically different to what we're talking about now. It's just a different digital distribution model. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you kind of zoom out far enough, it seems like the 20th century model is this kind of historic aberration compared to what came before. Now it's almost like we're going back to a new version of that. Mm. Ryan, how do you feel about going back? <laughs> Returning? <laughs> Returning, <laughs> uh, returning yeah. to tradition, uh, yes. rejecting modernity. <laughs> I, I love it. No, you, I, you I know what I mean. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. healthy. Just having fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, uh, the the space that you occupy it it is like a really really good middle ground where um, for I think offering content that is interesting. Um, like without pigeonholing like you like you were saying before like when you're on twitter twitter's fantastic for like the quick feedback um and hearing what people have to say about about what you're saying but you can never actually say what you want to say on twitter just given the the length constraints Mm -hmm. you're never in a position where you can um articulate yourself entirely Uh, substack kind of hits that like happy medium though where you can write virtually as long as you want i think is there is there like a, a character count on substack um, I think there is, but I haven't hit it yet. But you can easily write like fifteen hundred, two thousand words without any trouble. So yeah, that's generally okay. enough for anything you'd have to say. Yeah, yeah. So you can write out a almost maybe like a short story. It's a small, mm-hmm. very small book, a pamphlet. I I don't know what you'd call it, but you, you can flesh out an idea thoroughly. Um, you start yeah. your comment section, and then you've actually taken it to the next step, created your own Discord where people can have like just conversational chats on it that are, that are kind of easier to facilitate than than a comment section would be. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people may end up copying you here. This is a this, this is a clever model. Well, and that's a good thing. Like, that's something I've noticed a lot is. 
people copying your model just makes your model easier to sell to people because people are, oh yeah mm -hmm. i've seen i've seen that around it makes sense like the first person to hop on Substack, people were like, "Did you make up this company? Is this a scam? Like, what's this payment gateway?" <laughs> yeah, but now yeah, it's yeah. just one of those things where I will, I wouldn't even worry about putting in my credit card for anything on Substack because, like, I know, and we all know. Mm -hmm. And so, as a model gets copied, it makes it easier for the person that originated the model. Like, if you look at cryptocurrencies, if everyone's copying Bitcoin, that's making it better for Bitcoin. And they're not, mm -hmm. they're not all copying Bitcoin, but you know what I mean. Like the. Mm -hmm idea of a cryptocurrency or the idea of a certain subscriber model as that gets copied around it adds value to the original model and that's a win so you just want as many people as possible copying this but not copying your actual like what you're writing and how you're mm -hmm. writing yeah yeah i mean it's, it's already been it. it's already been going on for a while right like the uh the twitter to something else to discord pipeline is like a, yeah. a mm -hmm. fairly yeah. well-trodden one right now and i feel like it still has a shit ton of up upsides um, I, I think if there's one thing you can be like ultra bullish on going forward, it's probably communities and gated mm -hmm. communities at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, what was I going to say? Um, but yeah, it, it, it's this thing where I think people just generally want to feel, and it goes back to scarcity more generally. And when we're talking about physical things early, you just want to actually feel invested and a part of something. And this is all different mechanisms of getting to that same endpoint. yeah yeah people will pay a lot for like that sense of community and like being mm -hmm. around people that feel like feel the same way they do maybe they haven't been able to verbalize it but there's there's a lot to be valued in uh being around people where you feel comfortable with and it's fun to socialize with them and mm -hmm. uh for better or worse people will pay a lot for that feeling that's why you go to strip clubs <laughs> sure yeah you know some of us have discord will has strip clubs body sushi guys it's the only way to <laughs> bulk and cut at the same time yeah i i think I, I think i described like the main feature of nfts is that i think the main reason people buy a pudgy penguin is to be friends with the other pudgy penguins oh for uh, sure and they'll pay six thousand dollars for that yeah uh one other thing because we were talking about Tom being like halfway to sovereignty and also I guess once you get people just a bit of money coming in, it makes it easier for them to start creating. I'm, I'm losing my thread here, but, but like I thought I was having at the beginning is the idea that when you're halfway, say you've like half replaced your income on this path, mm -hmm. like you're really 90% of the way because it's just creating like once there's a path forward and you're like, Oh, I know what I need to do. I just need to do more of this. And it's just pushing forward. That's the hard part done. And I think that's mm -hmm. what all of this stuff is making easier. NFTs are making easier, like you were saying, is that it creates this almost, uh, I guess, like exponential progress where it's like, okay, as soon as you've gotten somewhat of a sense of what you're doing, you even can be like, okay, you know what? I have like 10 grand in the bank. I have a pretty good idea of where this is going. If I quit now, I can speed up my progress a year and maybe get through my, maybe I go through my savings, but probably in three months, I'm net even, way happier and all that stuff. And I think that's what technology is doing is making the leap a lot easier, like being making it just obvious that, oh, there are lots of ways to do this. There's a backstop if you need to do this. You can always go back and find a job, but here's the path mm -hmm. forward. And I'm not saying go quit your job, but I'm saying that I think it's just, it makes it a lot easier and more um, comfortable for people. And uh, that's, that's very comforting in general for me to see, because I, I know a lot of people who are more likely to jump now just because mm -hmm. they can see that the not even like the social safety net it's just the 
it's not, how, what would you define it as like the economic safety net? Like there's just something different out there where you know that there's opportunities everywhere. And so it makes sense to jump earlier and enjoy more of your time. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd say the games. <laughs> no, you can go ahead. No, go on. I was going to say over the, like, the last decade or so, um, we've seen a huge leap in how easy it is to start making money online. Like I, I remember, shoot, it was probably like five, six years ago now, I was reading uh, Tim Ferriss' 4-Hour Workweek. And in a way, he, he's really one of like the first like famous sovereigns in a certain sense. It's yeah. very interesting to go back and look. But uh, I was reading through his book. He he gives uh, some examples as to like ways that you can make money online so that you can quit your job and quotes work four hours a week or whatever. And he's talking about like importing French shirts and distributing them and like cr creating like these like yoga classes and supplement companies and uh, things that at least on a relative basis, relative to what people have to do right now, we're like very involved, um, a lot of coordination. You're dealing with um, manufacturers and shipping warehouses, and th there wasn't all of this infrastructure that we're kind of blessed with today. And in the last decade or so, you you, you kind of see the rise and the fall of like the meme e-com guys with all the, the, the affiliate marketing, uh, the drop shipping, all of that. Um, I, I think that these are all just like kind of evolutions leading up to uh, the point that we're kind of starting to step into now it's it's obviously not like a mature ecosystem yet but it's it's growing at an accelerating rate and it's opening up to a lot more people with a lot more skill sets and uh, obviously like long covid that's accelerating it too as is all of the other crazy macroeconomic sociological phenomena going on today but it's 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 coming a lot faster now than than it ever has before and that trend probably won't change and it's kind of good that it's not mature as well. Uh, I think right now we're in like the sweet spot where mm -hmm. you've got the infrastructure there. It's actually like stupid easy now. It's really, really, really mm -hmm. easy. But at the same time, most people haven't realized that. So it's not oversaturated. And you can, mm -hmm. yeah, I think we're actually probably in like an amazing intersection sweet spot of uh, the easiest time to go sovereign. Yeah, the people that perform well now are going to do very, very well over the coming decade or two. Yeah, there's also just, yeah, supreme value in being early. Mm -hmm. And I think another factor there is that all four of us are in unique positions compared to a lot of the people we know personally. Or not, not personally is the wrong word, we know like in real life. Okay. Is, it's just an odder circumstance to explain this, but, and that's why we're early, but I'm seeing more and more people around me consider this. Like, I was eating breakfast with my girlfriend this morning, we were just having this talk because we're talking about moves and where we want to live in Canada or the States and stuff like that. And this stuff comes up like, oh, like what are different opportunities? And it's almost hard to explain how many of them there are because they're just, they're everywhere, but you almost have to be trained to start looking for them. And that's where all four of us have completely different paths. But as you explain more and more of these paths, it makes it so someone can be like, that resonates with me. Tom's path resonates with me. Alex's path resonates with me. And thinking that way is, I, I guess, really what we're part of what we're trying to do here is make it so people realize what the possibilities are. There, there does seem to be a little bit of a, a an age divide that I'm seeing IRL. Like when I'm talking to like buddies that are about my age, um, they're obviously not as like just dump straight, jump straight into the deep end like we did about the whole thing. But I, I hear them talking about making like passive income streams online or like I, I tell them about some stuff that I'm doing 
invest in crypto, whatever. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, I get that. I understand what you're talking about. It makes sense that that's something that you can do. And that's very cool. But if I like if I try to explain this to like my parents or uncles or aunts or something like they'll kind of understand the words that I'm using, but not it like it'll still be kind of weird to them. And it just there'd be zero chance being able to explain this to like grandparents or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <clears throat> oh. I had I had a trend that could keep going, but that kind of fell off the tracks. <laughs> Go for it, man. Oh. No, it, it's derailed. I've forgotten it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I so, think there's the assumption that um, there's like real actual technological barriers to this, like sort of the older that you get, whereas it seems that the actual tech side of it in most cases is just getting increasingly easy. I mean, the fact that Mm-hmm. I configured the fact that I can figure these things out, like how to actually get payments and so on, means that it means that it's at the idiot sort of stage. <laughs> There's you hope know. for the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. We're all there's so make many it. layers of abstraction between you and the actual tech now. That mm. yeah, that there's really there's really no excuse. Um, and it's really only the people that are close to death, I think, that will actually be completely incapable of doing this. And I think everyone below that... The dark way be... to see it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's true, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think everyone else going forward, in, in like 10 or 20 years, like literally everybody will be able to uh, do it, is what I mean. That's, a, that's actually the way nicer way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Jeez. yeah it's true though like I, speaking to older people like my uh i was t- talking with my grandmother and i told her sort of what i do before ish and she just thinks for some reason that i invest money in real estate and i'm just like i'm too lazy to correct it now so <laughs> sure that's, it is. that's like not even close I, I did work in real estate but no no even close to doing like ah oh, fuck like not worth correcting it and it's just the the level of the the layers you have to explain is often just so much with people like like you almost have mm-hmm. to be like okay like what do you know about writing and then and so tom here's an answer is like okay so how do you think people make money doing that okay like so books aren't the only way though if you think about the, there's this and this like you have to walk people through steps of their understanding of how that ecosystem and money flows in that ecosystem work before they can be like oh so people pay you money for what you put out online and they also pay money for books and money for a sort of a community feel with you and that's yeah. but that, that's like a 10 minute conversation with some people and that could be a 40 minute conversation with other people and it's just mm-hmm. it's a lot it's missing context it would be a lifelong conversation with some people they'll just never literally never understand it i think um, like you and me makes, you still will never yeah. know what i do I, I still, if you ask me in one sentence what Will does for a living, I, I could not, I would fail. Invest in real estate, baby. Will invest in real estate. Yeah. Gamble online. That's what I do. <laughs> Basically. That's what, I do. Yeah. That's what we're all doing, really. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, have you, have you told your family, friends, um, extend, extended IRL circle what you do? Like, has that been a conversation for you? Nah. Yeah, yeah. No. that's that's a, that's a smart way to play it. To be honest, yeah. they really think you're illiterate. They have no idea you even write. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, I I think it's one of those things, especially when you're sort of starting on something. And I'm not, I'm not saying that people in my life are particularly horrible or discouraging, but I think people have a yeah. way of trying to ask what they think is see, you know, a sensible sort of have you thought about this, mm-hmm, which yeah. is which is just discouraging. So I just need sort of 
blind optimism, you know? Yeah, yeah. Blind optimism. And then, and then you tell the people in retrospect, when like, oh, this is what I do now. Yeah, it's especially in the UK, I think. I think people yeah, are. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know what? Like, in the UK, I don't know. There's this sort of, so hard to put into words. Uh, it, there's this, like, I think there's a sort of mindset of resistance to change. There's like a heavy deference to rituals and tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like this sort of macro mindset of, I think, hesitance towards uh, risk. Entrepreneurship. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think people like recoil sort of instinctively. Uh, mm-hmm. I think at the idea of it. Uh, so I totally relate to Tom being like, "Nah, they, they don't need to know." <laughs> I, I yeah. think that's totally understandable. I think the cool thing about the internet is being able is uh, uh, maybe more risk prone British people being able to link up with other people because, <laughs> man, yeah, it, yeah, it, it, exactly. Like you say, you're saying how you've got the sort of artist and coder partnership. I yeah. think you also need this transatlantic partnership where you know you've got someone who's english and sort of dour or yeah, yeah. scottish depressed but because of that that means they've got <laughs> because of that that means they've got actual artistic talent and then you just pair up with like a just a stupidly blindly optimistic american yeah. person who understands technology and, be- and believes that, that, you, that you can actually achieve things in life and then you two pair up and yeah away you go yeah. You guys duo. don't. You guys don't realize how nice like the American mindset of like making it is. Like it's kind of memed on. Oh, but it's really, it. it's really cool actually. Like that you guys think of yourself as this big open frontier for innovation that Britain just mm-hmm. does not think of itself as at all. Yeah. Like we're lumped in with the West, but man, the difference in mindset is startling. Yeah, the, the mindset's starting to to die a little bit, but it's yeah, it's not gone completely. There's, I don't know if it's just like holding individual liberty like the freedoms whatever just as like the supreme value whereas maybe like societal order or structure maybe more of a a more supreme value in other cultures but america does have a, a very special way of yeah. encouraging its populace to change the world yeah it's not too i, I, I love that it. I love that about America. I think mm-hmm. it's it's like one of your guys' most memed on traits, I think, by people like it's kind of become uh, trendy to be anti American in that way. Um mm-hmm. but I, I love that about America and I'm I'm very tired of uh Britain going in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. The, the internet's kind of like homogenized some of our culture. I, I don't know if this is as true as it as it may have been like fifty or a hundred years ago, but that there really is this sense of like progress moves from east to west sort of mm. uh, sort of attitude where like probably middle of the last millennium europe was like at the forefront of progress technologically in the world um, then that moves over to the us a few hundred years later and they arrive on the east coast of the us and that's where like all the innovation happening happens yeah. and then they keep like trudging farther and farther west like across the continent, and that's always where progress is. Like the 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 frontier, the West, Wild West. Um, mm-hmm. California kind of had that innovative vibe for a while. It's it's getting co-opted now, of course. But um, so logically speaking, what's west of of California? The, Hawaii. Hawaii is going to be like next Silicon yeah. Valley, and then Fiji. It's uh, next. There we go. There we go. Hawaii and Alaska. Um. The inane tangent but um <laughs> <laughs> no that's a good tangent i like that actually uh, where do you think asia links into all that 
Um, that's kind of where I'm going with uh, west of uh, <clears throat> west of California is uh-huh. you just hit eastern like east East Asia next, and then you just keep yeah. going west across the the Eurasian landmass again. And we're just kind of at that part of the cycle where it's kind of past California and off to wherever's next. And so maybe Polish Asia. I I don't know. I, well, it's actually true. I, like, there's like a, a very kind of much, happening. That's there's a very out. much growing culture of entrepreneurship. Uh, I hear in Asia and China mm-hmm. and Japan, and there's also a like a booming influencer economy over there as well. In a way mm-hmm. that was just never ever true before. So I think there's there's very much something to this theory of like uh, geographical cycles. <laughs> um, that that kind of reminds me of the the tangent that I fell off before when you when you mentioned influencers and why young people tend to understand this a lot better is because we're constantly surrounded by people who are doing this. We're, like we spend hours every single day watching quotes influencers and what are influencers doing? Well, most of them, good ones, big ones, the ones that most people are familiar with. Well, they're making money online by just farming attention and then funneling that off to uh, products or affiliations or a million different ways to make revenue off of it now. But I, I think that's why the kind of the millennials and especially the Zoomers, this is just going to be like easy mode for them because this is like all of the media that they can consume is coming from people so that even if they didn't have like formal education in school as to how to do any of this um much of their uh, much of their development their upgrading um what they do for fun um that's all centered all that attention is centered on um people who are making money online and that serves as a i don't know a a benchmark a, a role model if that makes sense did you know that they have? There we go. Did, did you know they have influencer schools in China now? Oh, I've seen those. It, it's yeah. like this this huge like room, and you've, you've got all those um yeah. like, circle lights high people do things. for like t- yeah. yeah yeah yeah. And it's just like rows and rows of like like these like pretty Asian like, girls who are like taking yeah. pictures of themselves at like different angles and what, and they're like uh, doing like Photoshop classes and everything. It's yeah, it, wow. it looks super dystopian, but economically it kind of makes sense i guess i don't know uh, it makes it makes a, it makes a ton of sense yeah, yeah and right. it's, it's very it's very much the asia america relationship for america to start kickstart this whole like weird thing in asia to just scale it up and optimize it to fuck Jeez. Um, <laughs> maybe i'll check it out on roll <laughs> that would be so funny i would pay so much money to see that happen that would be a good youtube video <laughs> So I'm starting a vlog in China. I've joined the influencer school. And you can just see that you can see everyone else in the background filming theirs, and it's just me. Like, oh, can I get some more rice wine? Um, it, it, it's like a hundred thousand pretty Asian girls and one 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 Canadian man. Oh, how did I know you'd go to influencer school? Be the whole channel. Anyway, um. Tom, can you tell us about like your uh, your journey getting into writing? Like, were you writing like straight out the womb? Um, did you know you wanted to do it professionally early on? Um, what, what was your how'd you, how'd you do this? Like, what was your process getting into into what's gonna um, be like your livelihood? Well, um, I think if I was more professional, I'd have a nice sort of linear. You know, <laughs> no, I'd be able to there's, actually answer that question. I guess I'd be able to answer that question in a good way, but unlike all of the, um, yeah, the self-help advice you get, I pretty much just wasted my twenties. Nice, just yeah, feel that. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, drinking and gambling and all that kind of stuff. Did a little bit of 
writing on the side. Wait, I thought you said slowly, you wasted it. Yeah. Um, yeah, slowly realised that I had, you know, that this was clearly the thing that I was good at, if anything. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, I didn't even really write online at all until I was like about 30, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, I just kind of got into this sort of stuff and realised that I suppose I had some talent because I hadn't just melted my mind with social media or whatever. And then, yeah, then Substack comes along and right. other sort of platforms and things and just do that and progress that way, you know? Do you remember the the chain that kind of, like, we're in this big mutual friend circle? Do, do you remember how you kind of got introduced to it? Um, no. <laughs> well, Fair enough. Uh, yeah. We're just here. Well, another yeah. thing I'd be curious about is, like, were there any specific mentors? Is too formal a word. Role models is also not a good word. But like, anyone like you looked up to, both like they were no. actually in your life or just not in your life. Like, not at all. Not at all. Going back to um, what Ryan said, you've got the sort of yeah British thing, especially if you come from sort of certain social classes where yeah, there's no one doing arts yeah. that you actually meet that you actually meet in real life and if anyone does show any sort of inkling towards that it's just quickly sort of suppressed by the by the yeah. collective hive, hive mind so you know you just kind of it hide your light so under much, a bushel man. yeah yeah it sucks so much like there's the i don't know why they're so timid but i i don't th i yeah I'm, i would nurtured all my interests just because i was extremely online from a very young age mm -hmm. uh that's where i picked up all of my interests um and was able to actually develop them. Yeah, there was like nobody. Uh, in, I'm sure there's some people in Britain that are, that are okay with nurturing this sort of uh, mindset, but man, it's very few and far between. Yeah, so as a result of that, that's just where um, I guess you try, I guess you sort of develop through various forms of escapism. So yeah, Ryan's version is the online world, and because I sort of that much older mine just became through books and things like that and just escaping yeah. escaping through you know music art all that kind of stuff yeah. and then i and i suppose what you take as mentorship so to speak is these kind of things more yeah these more sort of historical things that you pick up in books and you try and build your own reality and frame of references and ways of approaching life through that because yeah you don't have those sort of nurturing examples in school or in your reality or whatever you know so yeah it's all completely autodidactic self-taught self -taught sort of stuff really yeah i as a as a long-term goal i would love to kickstart kickstart some like entrepreneurial uh like grants or funding sort of stuff mm. in, in scotland or the uk i would love to like just inject that sort of mindset back into there yeah mm -hmm. i feel like philip like brennan was not always like this I, i'm not sure because i'm very young but i feel like it was not always like this yeah, I, I think it's been that way, certainly longer than our lifetimes. But um, yeah, one would one would assume just by definition during sort of times of empire, you must exactly, have right? sort of ambition and scope and vision, all these kind of things. Yeah, what happened to those people? What happened? They came to America. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> all the cool ones came yeah. to America. <laughs> I think I think you'd say it's either that or they were killed in the Somme or something. That'd be the. Mm, yep. That'd be the theory, I'd say. Yep. Just left behind all the lame ones. One thing I've yeah. noticed that crypto Twitter is just 
absolutely inundated with Brits. I mean, it is. Yeah, like it really 70, is. 80, 90 percent. It's like it's a lot of major. Ton of, isn't CT that interesting? Accounts. Like, because like, I, I, I don't really talk about crypto to any of my mm-hmm. uh, IRL friends. Um, a little bit. I think when I first got into it, I told them to like buy Bitcoin because I was like fanatical. Mm-hmm. But I was like, shit, you got to, you got to get in this. You got to get in this. Uh, <laughs> and the people that did made like really good money because it was like I back in like 2017 or something. Love but to see I, it. yeah, it's not really a very, it's not really a discussed topic at all. It's not like common in Britain at all, which is why I find it really interesting that there's a ton of British people. What this signals to me is that British people, um, the few that are quite different like that, they tend to veer very online. I think there's a lot mm. of very online people in Britain. Um, that makes sense. And I, I don't know if they're that used to connecting offline. Maybe you're just like, you know, ships passing in the night when you're at Tesco or something. Mm-hmm. Like you'll, you'll, you'll never know. Gotta get like a special pin. Yeah. We need like a signal or something. <laughs> I, I, think, I, think, I think as well, sort of more generally, um, just money's taboo. Just money talk yeah. is taboo. So it, so it almost gives it this sort of countercultural sort uh, of cachet to actually be talking about, yeah, making money and investing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very, it's That's very like, point. like you don't talk about it in polite company. Like it's sort of, it's very odd. Uh, everyone's very afraid to broach certain topics. I can imagine like being an artistic type in Britain would be like doubly worse because you've got like mm. the artistic stigma towards money and then you've got mm. the British stigma towards money compounding it. And, like, yeah. and not being of the background for either as well, you know? Of course. Yeah. yeah so. Damn, I didn't expect this to be like a, like a, a podcast about talking about the, like, the British class mindset. system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You're it's, a good to- it's a good topic though. Yeah, the, the money thing is wild because like that's something I faced a lot in the last year or two is I find with a lot of the people I know from online, it's really easy to talk about money. Like you're not saying, oh, I make this much. But you're like, yeah, like I'm trying to figure out how to have enough to like pull off this project or I'm trying to figure out this. Like it's not something you would really in like almost in regular life, it'd be more normal to talk about how, oh, I've got to save up to spend this much on like an engagement ring or a house or something mm-hmm. like that but to talk about business and i don't know it's, it's almost like consumption is more normalized in real life whereas saving and investment and uh like businesses is not normalized at all and it's one of those things where i catch myself talking about like i'm really like this is gonna like 10x and i put a bunch in and, uh, and then i'm like oh sorry like i hope you don't mind me talking about this the way i do and it's part of like some people that I think, especially crypto Twitter, has just trained me to think that it's beyond normal to be yeah. open about that until to the point where you are almost like doxing yourself or making yourself a target. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, like it's it's one of those things I'm very, like, like I guess with everyone, I'm very forward about it. And then I remember, oh, you can't talk this way in real life. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that about online that you can like share monetary success and everybody's like celebrating with just you. Just happy for you. Yeah, like everybody's like, oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. Uh, whereas, like, in real life, everyone would be like, wait, what? What, what are you? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? Like, sh- they want in. Shut, shut the fuck up. Like, can I have some money? Like, what's going on? Here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because like, everyone's, everyone's like fully invested in this track of uh, you go to school, you go to university, you, mm-hmm. you get a degree in line with your education, uh, you work 50 years, and then you die. And the, the cracks in the, that system are kind of, I think, beginning to show for even normies yeah. now. Like, people are starting to get worried. And we may just be in a position where uh, we're the people talking about doing something else. 
And that kind of threatens all of the life choices that, you know, the masses have made over the last century or so. Um, yeah. It, it could just be like prodding at like a, at a sensitive spot that some people have. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I do hope it is. From. I do hope it decays a little bit over time. As, It'll um, have to. Yeah. Yeah. As like the implicit uh, cracks start to become explicit. Um. I think we're coming up. Yeah, we're just a little bit over an hour now. Um, we said we'd be a little more like loosey goosey on time with this one. Um, but um, just to make sure we can like get it in here. Um, Tom, you want to give us a quick rundown on your uh, Substack, Discord, where we can find you, how we can help you become sovereign. Um, quick rundown, sales pitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> get your sales deck on hand. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go for the sort of blase anti-sales sales because like we said, um, authenticity is the opposite of money. So I'm there gonna go. sort of <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna yeah you know so I'm gonna kind of gently introduce it. But um, yeah, so the main place that I write is on Substack, which is thomasjbevan.substack.com. A uh, piece went out I think two hours ago, something like that, which obviously is great as they all are. And then if you go on, if you go on there, click on that. There's a little subscribe button. You click on that one. You put in your money amount. You then get an email linking you to the Discord, and then you join us there, and your life immeasurably improves. Love it. That's a, that's a pretty good sales pitch, actually. Yeah. And he, the, he, yeah. Scripted that. he had four or five written down, and that was the one he went with, so it's good to know. <laughs> and the Discord comes, uh, access to the Discord comes free with that? Well, um, it com- it comes when you pay. If if you go for the freebie tier, then you know, shame mm-hmm. on you for one thing. And right, true. Yeah, you just you just value get your stuff. Value. Yeah, exactly. You know, get some skin in um, the game. Yeah, you know. I mean, I am going to be unemployed pretty soon. I'm not trying to put any pressure on any people people listening. So you know, I mean, it's that's a lot of pressure. Seven dollars. There's a there's a limited number of places, which is actually true. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah. Better brother of time. And another thing I'd add to that is like one, like one piece of yours that really stood out. You'd remember the title, but it's the one on nostalgia from really early on. And so if people mm-hmm. want to like get a sort of idea of how you write and what you write about. I thought that was a great one. What, do you remember the title off the top of your head? Um. You put po- no. you posted it on something the other day, and I'd already read it before. Oh fuck! Um, it's like I think it was oh. issue number seven on nostalgia, or anyways. I think it's just called, think it's just called nostalgia, or like the meaning of nostalgia, or something like that. Something like that. And uh, guys, I'd recommend looking that up, and that'll give you a really good sense of, I guess, the free version of what you'd be getting. Go- uh, I don't know what I was waiting for anyone else to say after that. Are we done, guys? <laughs> I think we've. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think we've gone on like at least double digit tangents and we've had some fun here. And uh, yeah, Tom, yeah. we definitely appreciate you being our first guest. And yeah, that was awesome. That was fun, Tom, bro. <laughs> giving us yeah. 10 minutes of your time while we tried to figure out how to get it to record. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah. I, I appreciated it, but I didn't appreciate that bit. But you know, the rest of it, I, <laughs> the rest of it I appreciated. So yeah, it's nice. Because the funny part is we couldn't even do banter then because we didn't want to just start recording right in the middle of a sentence. So we were all paused, waiting. It wasn't even like the fun thing. Like, okay, we'll just get started now. 
Now I'm like narrating what I'm doing. Like, yep. So I'm uh, going to click, and that's in your like deep radio voice too. I am. Uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like you're reading out instruction manuals on like the uh, what's that? Like the the shopping channel, like three in the morning. Like, and so this can do this and this and this if you'd like, and just go on and on and on that way. Digging through all the Discord uh, settings and everything. Um, yeah. Anyone have anything else? Uh, no. Shut it down. Cool. Cross our fingers. This works. All right. 